Currently then, uh, series trying to get some perspective on these tumultuous times of the last couple of years and what's with us just now. How do we work out a Christian view, a Christian response to all that we've been through and still are going through? Um, last Sunday I was looking at the, both the, the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. It's a time following Pentecost. We remember the Holy Spirit was given to all followers of Jesus. The Spirit was here, God with us, to be all to Jesus' followers that Jesus himself was while he was with them. This new era was, in the words of some of the Old Testament prophets, the last days, and Joel was one of these, and we saw in the reading in Acts chapter 2 last week, this, the last days, he said, Peter was saying, are now... Not last days in the sense of um, the world ends before a week on Tuesday, but last days in the sense of this is the final part, as it were, in God's plan, God's preparation for salvation. There had been the work of calling a people, Israel, to himself. The ups and downs are going into exile, coming back from the exile. And through their failures, the promise a Messiah would come, a Messiah would come. Jesus was that Messiah. Not as some had thought and expected to restore a, a national kingdom for Israel, but a gospel that was for all the world. And he did that not through force or power, but through death and resurrection. And God didn't leave it there. After the ascended Jesus returned, the Holy Spirit was given. And this, Peter was saying in that sermon in Acts 2, this is the last piece in that jigsaw, if you like, making clear this way of salvation and yet, while we have the presence of God here and now through the Holy Spirit, this is not yet it. This is not the final fullness of life that God was planning. This is not the new heavens and the new earth. And so we live with a now in terms of God's salvation being complete through Christ and the gift of the Spirit, but the not yet in terms of not until Christ returns will the world end and the new heavens and the new earth be created. Now, last week I was looking at two opposite and just as wrong responses to this. One is the way some Christians mine different parts of the Bible, trying to find clues about when Jesus will come. And they try to read various world events and say, oh yes, this must be happening now. And there have been plenty of those um, attempts. They've been going on for hundreds of years. There's nothing new about them. What they all have in common, of course, is that they've all been wrong so far. But Jesus had said his coming would be like a thief in the night. But to be ready, yes. But we don't know when he will return. And so we should be living with the realization that the return of Jesus can be any time. And rather than forget and what Jesus taught and promised about his return, we should be letting that shape our daily lives. And that was the other opposite error, just to forget that Jesus had promised that he would return. There seems some kind of supposition that life as we know it here will just go on and on and on. The deceased will go somewhere else to be some their spirit with, with Jesus forever in heaven. And that's not, repeat, not what the New Testament teaches. It speaks about heaven coming to earth in the new creation. 
It talks about a resurrection of the body, a new life and fullness of life in the kingdom of God. And that happens when Jesus returns. And so while we shouldn't be reading the newspapers to sort of say, oh, is it coming this week or next week or next month? We should be reading the newspapers to see what's going on and what we can do about it. But at the same time, we shouldn't be forgetting that promise. Jesus will come. This is not it. This is not the ultimate. And one of the things I think that we should take from the um, pandemic that we've been through is we need to learn the lesson, if we haven't learned it already, that life is not as undisturbed as we thought. Life is not just as settled, as definite, as predictable as we had become used to. Years ago, uh, an insurance salesman was in um, our flat in Rukhese, um trying to sell me insurance. And um, remember he said to me, people get it wrong when they're planning for their future, you know. They speak about when they retire and if they die. It should be the other way around. If I retire, when I die. Not everyone lives to retirement age, but everyone dies. Now, that might not have been a cheerful thought, but he was right. And similarly, there's way too many Christians, particularly in the rich Western world, who have this attitude about, if Jesus returns... And suppose rather that life is going to go on and continue as we know it, just as the way that in salesman was saying people were assuming that they're going to retire. The COVID pandemic should cut right through that. It should be making us rethink that. Life is not as much under our as anyone else's control as we suppose. There are other bigger issues and realities that can come upon us not just pandemics. And one of these issues and realities that will come upon us is Jesus. Return. He is coming back. Not coming back as the man from Nazareth coming to do some more miracles, give us some more updates on his teaching, or go back to the cross again, but coming back as the Lord of all, the Savior and the judge of the world. In the meantime, receiving the now of the kingdom his salvation and the gift of the Spirit. We are to live in fellowship with God through the Spirit and live the ways and the values of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom is not here in all its fullness. So there will be opposition, there will be challenge, there will be sufferings, there will be incompleteness of life. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are to live by faith, not by sight. But don't, don't we prefer living by sight rather than faith? You know, we, seeing is believing and all, all that kind of thing. I'm not sure how people stick to that so closely in this age of photoshopping and everything else. But we, we, we yeah, we, we want something that we can see or touch or whatever. And knowing that that's not feasible necessarily with the whole thing of life... So we have people who think we can see, we can understand what God is doing and why. You can see into the mind of God. 
people who jump to conclusions about, oh, this is what that means. I've mentioned before the minister from Northern Ireland, clerical minister, not political minister, who said that the COVID pandemic was sent by God because God was judging because the Westminster government had passed legislation on abortion and same-sex marriage in Ireland. Now, that's a bizarre thing to think. God's really angry at that, so he sends a pandemic that starts in China and travels halfway across the world before it ever reaches Northern Ireland. Besides, similar legislation had been passed already in many other countries. Suppose God is saying, oh, they're allowing abortion in Scandinavia now, are they? Same-sex marriage is okay in Germany. Oh, Netherlands is up to that kind of stuff. And then suddenly saying, Northern Ireland? Oh no, we can't have that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And discredits the gospel. That's what I was saying last week with these reading the signs things. It's often a misreading. It discredits the gospel. And people have been doing that all the time. I remember um, all these years ago when Diana Spencer died there. Um, Free Presbyterian minister in Scotland saying it was because she was out breaking the Sabbath. What about the thousands of other people who were out breaking the Sabbath? And besides, was that really all that Diana Spencer had been up to? What about adultery? What about consulting a medium? She was guilty of those things as well. You see, the, the, the problem when, when people come up with that kind of stuff is actually it tells you more about the person saying these things than it does about God. Free Presbyterian minister has a hang-up about Sabbath observance. Um, minister in Northern Ireland has got a hang-up over um, legislation, state legislation about marriage and abortion and so on. It's, it's a drawing a line in the sand that, that isn't necessarily God's line. But because we want to walk by sight, we want to understand, we want to be able to explain these things. But it doesn't help that way. So there we are. We live with the now of salvation. Yes, we live with the not yet when things go wrong and things are incomplete and there is suffering. And, and we have to chart our way through that. All Christians have to chart our way through that. And we have to chart our way through that without jumping to those kind of awful, simplistic conclusions that dishonor God. Now, I said last week that determination to find the hidden meanings about when Jesus causes a return just distracts away from the real business of following. When things like COVID come, we cannot suppose the message is about the end of the world. A better question than why is this happening, is what is to be a response? And there is a valuable lesson and a good example about that in Acts chapter 11, in the section that Tom read to us earlier on. In these last days, this era of the Spirit, the era of the Messiah's salvation, the church had been growing, but the church also was experiencing a lot of persecution. That led the church, which we read about being formed in Acts chapter 2 last week, that church then in Jerusalem began to be persecuted and spread. 
By Acts chapter 4, we're told this, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Persecution came. Believers were scattered. And as they were scattered and went to the different places, so they shared their faith in Jesus. And so the church began to grow in these other places as well. And so at verse 19 of Acts chapter 11, the first verse that Tom read to us today Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed in Jerusalem traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. But there's a persecution. There's the spread. And the word was being shared. And then we read that some, however began to speak, verse 20, to the Greeks also, to the non-Jews, telling them the good news about Jesus. So let's see what had been happening. The church was persecuted. As the church was persecuted in Jerusalem, so they spread. As they spread, so they shared their faith. As they were sharing their faith with people, they were saying, well, why shouldn't the non-Jews hear about this as well? This is good news. Jesus is the Savior of the world. I'll tell the Greeks as well as the Jews. And so what we got to was this flourishing church in Antioch, this church that was doing very well. Barnabas went to see them, verse 22 and following, and he thought this was great. And then it was too much work for him. So he went, verse 25, to Tarsus to look for Saul and said, Saul, I need someone to come in with me and help and, and, and teach the church and grow the church and disciple the church. And, and Saul went and did that. And Saul and Barnabas We are told, verse 26, spent a year there doing that. So that's a picture. Into that picture, verse 27 and following, some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Here's their pandemic. Not a virus, but a famine that is going to be across the known Roman world. And notice what the church in Antioch do. Well, first they notice what they didn't do. They didn't say, oh, this must be a sign that Jesus is coming back. There's not going to be food. Oh, well, it must be Jesus is coming back very soon. We won't need food. Nor did they say... This must mean that some bad laws have been passed and we're being punished for it. They didn't look for people to blame. They didn't look for the traders or the ones exploiting others or those who had failed in the food distribution networks or whatever. So what did they do if they didn't do any of that? They said, they asked a few simple questions. They said, one, who's most at risk here? Two, what can we do about it? Three, how are we going to get some help to them? What can we do? Sorry, who's at risk? What can we do? How are we going to help? That's it, isn't it? That's the response. The response is not, what's the hidden meaning here? The response is, how can we 
do something as God's people? What would God's people do? What would Jesus have us do in this place and in this situation? It wasn't to get a megaphone to shout loudly the views that they already heard in certain things, such as Sabbath observance or laws of abortion. It was, how do we care as Jesus cares? How would we serve as, as Jesus served? And what they identified was that the need would be most in, in Jerusalem. Now, why? Well, we've been told why. The church in Jerusalem had been persecuted. They'd been scattered. Jerusalem was no longer the um, big cathedral, if you like. Although, thank God, cathedrals weren't around in this time. Um, But Jerusalem wasn't that kind of big, we've got it all church. But most of them had been scattered. The church in Antioch was actually doing a whole lot better than things in Jerusalem at this point. These guys are in need. How, how are we going to help them? We could get some food to them. That's what people need when there's a famine, isn't it? We could get some food or, or maybe some money so that they can help out. How are we going to do that? Oh, here's Barnabas and Saul. They've been helping us. They've been teaching us. They've built us up. They've done such a good job that we know what we should be doing here. Why don't we say to Barnabas and Saul... Take what we have and and, and take it to Jerusalem. Barnabas, we were told, uh, was from Jerusalem. That's how he got to Antioch, verse 22. There's the need. Here's what we can do, and here's a way of being able to do it. See, God works in the world largely, mainly, through people. As um, I put in a quote in the midweek messenger I think last week from Shane Claiborne if we ask God to move mountains he's quite likely to give us a shovel God works through people the church is called not just to believe in God not just to sing its hymns but also to serve God spread his love spread his message spread his justice spread his compassion in the world That's what we read at the beginning of our service from from Titus. Grace of God offers salvation to all people. Verse 11 of Titus 2. Godly behavior based on the salvation. Verse 14. So God gave gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So salvation is not just getting your sins forgiven. It's being taken to this part, this place where you recognize and realize you're part of God's work in the world. You're you're an instrument of God. You're an agent of the kingdom of God in the world. That's how God works. Right at the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis 1, how is God going to have creation looked after? Humanity is told to steward it, Genesis 1.28. In our time, the response to the kind of upheavals that have been going on shouldn't be 
oh, when can we get back to normal? But who most needs help? What can we do to help? And who will be able to carry this out for us? Instead of a longing to return to what was most amenable and what was most comfortable about our lives and our lifestyles, the people of God should be on the alert to ask, what can I do? What can we do? What can I do? What can we do to make the kingdom of God more apparent, more meaningful to others? Because that's the thing about the now and the not yet. The now is, here is the salvation of God. Here is the gift of the Spirit. Here here is the presence of God building His kingdom. And that's to be made real in the not yet, made real in the incompleteness of the world, made real in the hurting and the suffering and the injustice and so on. And the way that it's made real is through people, through the response of God's people, being agents of the kingdom, being, being instruments in God's hands, The church in Antioch got it. Well, you might say, Saul and Barnabas spent a whole year with them. Of course they'd got it. Sometimes wonder, a lot of us have spent a lot more than a year in churches and we've not seen as clearly as this just where the responsibility lies. We've not seen as clearly as this that the church is not just for herself, but for others. The church is not just somewhere to wait around until the reality of heaven kicks in, but it's to be a living instrument, sign, pointing to the realities of kingdom life. What can we, what can I do? Never mind if this is the end and, or if it's next Tuesday or next month, next year or even another millennium away. It's how do we live and responsibly in the realities of both now and not yet. Not so much asking, what does this mean? But what can I do? Who needs help? How can we do it? And who will do it with us? among us and for us. What will most show that while we know that life here is not ideal, breaking through are the new ways of new life of Jesus' salvation. That's what the world should see as it looks on the church and looks to the church. That's what God has called us to be. That's what God has called us to do. Let us pray.